Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. I'm here again with Katie Goulis. And the music you just heard, the chant you just heard, which can be heard on the Theosis CD, which is put out by the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir of Homer Glen, Illinois. On this CD, we have a number of different chants from the liturgical life of the Byzantine Church, but we opened our program today with the chant from the Lenten season, the season that we are now in, the season of the great fast, the season of the bright sadness, the springtime of repentance. And the reason we did was because this Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is a Sunday, the second Sunday of Lent, in which since the 14th century, we commemorate a saint named Gregory Palamas. We also commemorate a couple other things, too, which have a historical basis to them. And Katie's going to read a little something from one of our great Lenten books here, the Lenten Triodion, about this particular Sunday. Since 1368, this Sunday has been dedicated to the memory of St. Gregory Palamas, Archbishop of Thessalonica. This commemoration forms a continuation of the feast celebrated on the previous Sunday, St. Gregory's victory over Barlam, Akindinos, and the other heretics of his time, and is seen as a renewed triumph of orthodoxy. In the earlier period, there was on this day a commemoration of the great martyr Polycarp of Smyrna, whose feast was transferred from the fixed calendar. This commemoration, like that of St. Theodore, underlined the connection between Lenten asceticism and the martyr's vocation. The second Sunday also takes up the theme of the prodigal son as a model of repentance, with the first of the two canons at Matins being devoted to this parable. So you see there's a multiple levels here on this Sunday, the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, but we're going to focus a little bit on this St. Gregory Palamas and what he offered to the Byzantine spirituality. Actually, he came from a perspective which we're going to call, and is very characteristic of the Eastern spirituality, and Lent, the Great Fast, is certainly a time when that is most evident in the Eastern Church. 
That tradition is what I'm going to call it a psychosomatic or psycho slash physical, hyphen physical. In other words, during the Lenten season, we implore and, and employ some of the spirituality of Eastern churches, which really shows part of the genius of the East, our integrated genius. In other words, where we really, really combine and live out this union of body and soul, of matter and spirit together. Our culture tends to separate them out, but Lent is a time in which we do certain things that actually reveal and live how these two things are actually integrated. In the Jesus prayer you just heard, this comes from the tradition that Gregory Palamas was very much a part of, and that tradition is called the Hesychus tradition. This goes back centuries in the Eastern Church, and the Hesychus tradition is a tradition which can be characterized by a kind of a mystical union or mystical awareness or intimacy with God that comes from a deep silence, a deep kind of entering into a very deep part of us. In other words, our heart. And as you know from biblical terminology, the heart is the place, sort of the, the seat of our essence as a person. So we go deep into there, especially during the Lenten period, with a particular prayer. It's called the Jesus prayer. Very simple. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We say that over and over again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. At the beginning of our program today, you heard that prayer set to Byzantine chant. Again, sung by Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir of Homer Glen, Illinois. And this prayer was actually designed to be done in a way that is very psychosomatic. Now, somatic means like the body, you know, the physical. And cycle, of course, means like the spirit of the soul, the breath. So it's a prayer that engages our whole self as spirit and body, as a psychosomatic person. The great saints and the spiritual masters instructed us to do this prayer in such a way which we actually synchronize it with our breathing. As we, we breathe in and breathe out, breathe in and breathe out, something like this. We say, take, take a breath, breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, and then breathe out, Son of God. Now breathe in again, have mercy on me, and then breathe out, a sinner. And you just repeat that over and over again, slowly and attentively. And in time, as you master this, it's very, very simple. But you know, in the church, and always remember, truth and spirituality is always simple but profound. See, there's integration again, simple but profound. We go deep into a place in which our body and soul really are experienced together. So we say the words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, but we synchronize it with our very breath so that, in essence, we become prayer. We just don't do prayers. Doing prayer is very good. We have to say our prayers or do prayer. But the reason we do prayers, in other words, what most people think of prayer, a formal prayer, is because, in a sense, it gets us to practice. It gets us to through kind of a using word, using our lips, you know, using sound, and repetitively and attentively and intensely, we use that to enter into the rest of our being so that what happens is prayer starts to become very natural to us, almost like walking. You know, at first when you, you have to learn to walk, you know, when we're very young, we probably don't remember when we started to learn to walk. We just do it so naturally. What's well, the same thing with prayer? But we need these disciplines, and one of those is this Jesus prayer. It's a prayer of the heart, but which uses the body and the breath. In other words, the whole person. 
So you kind of just focus, focus on an image of Christ you know, in your mind. You can look at an icon or something, but at the same time, eventually you want to just have that image in your mind, like to close your eyes and just have it in your mind. And in time, you hardly even have an image at all. You just enter into the sense of the presence of Christ by this repetitive prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As I mentioned, this was a prayer used by what we call the Hesychus tradition in the Eastern churches, and Gregory Palamas was very much from that spirituality. As you heard Katie reading about him earlier, St. Gregory is from the 14th century. He was from Sinai, and according to Father Spiedlich, Thomas Spiedlich, in his wonderful book, The Spirituality of the Christian East, it says that Gregory of Sinai, that's Gregory Palamas, ushered in the most famous mystical revival of all Byzantine history, Athenite Hesychism. Now, Athenite refers to St. Anthony in the desert. You know, those early monastics who went out to the deserts and lived very, very cynical lives. Athenite hesychism. In his theological synthesis, Gregory Palamas posited man's deification of which the Tabor light would be the manifestation. Among his adherents, a place of honor was given to Nicholas Cavasilis, whose work, The Life in Christ, is considered one of the great masterpieces of Byzantine spirituality. I highly recommend to you the book by Nicholas Cabasillus. It really is a gem. And he was a layman. He was a lay theologian. See, lay theologians were well known and very much a part of the Eastern tradition. But remember, to be a theologian in the East is not just about book learning or having a degree. You're walking around in a three-piece suit claiming to be a theologian, spouting off just anything you want to spout off, the latest trend or whatever. To be a theologian, even a lay person in the Eastern churches means that that person knew God through primarily through prayer. Evagris, the great spiritual master in the Byzantine church, said that a theologian is one who truly prays. And if we truly pray, we will be a theologian. What is theology? Theology just isn't head knowledge. Oh, it includes that. Absolutely. It's very vital. But the point of the head knowledge is to ultimately come to a mystical, real, intimate union and knowledge of God himself. And the best way for that is to do so by a deep prayer, a psychosomatic prayer. In other words, a prayer that uses mind, body, soul, spirit all together. And this is one of the great geniuses of the East. And it's certainly on display in the Lenten practices of the Eastern churches. In fact, one of those practices, as Katie knows very well, especially today, is called the prostration Right, Katie? Mm-hmm. And why do you know that so well today? <laughs> well, this past week, we started to do each night part of the canon of St. Andrew of Crete. And as our listeners might know, um, during the canon of St. Andrew of Crete, there are a series of prostrations throughout the entire service. So only doing a handful of prostrations on each night was a little bit easier. But after the first night, I woke up the next morning and I was sore. I thought, <laughs> man, you know, I really need to... Um, to get into the groove of Latin a little bit more, um, I need to build up to when we actually do the entire canon of St. Andrew of Crete later on because this soreness just isn't going to work out for me. Well, I have to admit, uh, Katie, uh, Lent is a time we go to confession, so I must confess. <laughs> I was, first of all, I was happy, obviously, as a pastor. I was proud to see you there at the St. Andrew of Crete services at last night. Naturally, I was there too. And uh, I was thinking about you. I thought to myself, I, I do, I, my back was turned to you, of course, because I'm facing the altars. I don't know how many people are actually doing the prostrations, but I was hoping you were. And I thought if she was, I wonder how she'll feel today, because I know I have to admit, I must confess, 
I feel very sore too. <laughs> we have to get into shape. <laughs> but let, let the listeners know what the, we mean by prostration. Well, for prostrations, we kind of get down on our knees first, mm-hmm. and then we bow down with our heads until our heads touch the ground, mm-hmm. and then I stand up and make the sign of the cross. Well, we're going to talk more about the psychosomatic expression of prayer characteristic of the Eastern churches, especially during Lent, when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya with Katie Goulis on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And now, a special Lenten invitation from Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. There's a magnificent service that we pray in our church during the fifth week of Lent. It's called the service of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. This service is of timeless duration, but we invite you to experience any part of it throughout the night. There will also be an opportunity for confession. And if you stay for any part of this service, I guarantee you, you'll start to be moved to one to go to confession. It's a profound, profound journey into the whole phenomenon of repentance. As you walk through the Bible with all the Bible verses, the beautiful chants, the prostrations. It's just this incredible journey you enter into. We also invite seminarians and theologians to the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, starting at 7, Thursday evening, April 14th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Please join us at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Goulis. Father Tom, when we were talking about the canon of St. Andrew of Crete, it reminded me of when I was in college. I think it was my sophomore year. I decided to read through the canon myself in the back of St. John's down at U of I um, really late at night. So like no one would really see me doing prostrations and be like, what is this crazy girl doing in the back of church? <laughs> So since I wasn't chanting it or anything, I was just reading through it, you go through it a lot faster. And I was doing the prostrations at a much faster pace. And I woke up the next morning and 
it was bad. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't go up and down stairs for just about a week. It was, <laughs> you know, pretty painful. But, you know, every time, you know, I would go downstairs, I would think, you know, well, it, it was worth it because I did it. I got through it <laughs> and um, I was able to carry on the tradition. That's but, so mm-hmm. impressive that you were way at college at a secular university, right? Yeah. And you were practicing on your own. But that is so commendable. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I lived at the Catholic dorm, so it helped out a lot, especially yeah. during Lent, living at the Catholic dorm. Mm-hmm. Just to help you stay in the mindset of the season yes. really helped a lot. Because, you know, they would, uh, on Fridays, there wouldn't be meat or anything. Um mm-hmm. They just had a lot more options, a lot more options for prayer and things like that. So living at a Catholic dorm, even at a secular university, really helped Mm. during Lent. The mindset, you mentioned a a magic word there, mindset. Mindset, what is the mindset of all this? Now, to our listeners, perhaps, especially if you're not Eastern Catholics or Eastern Orthodox Christians, it may have sounded strange here, like, why do we torture ourselves like this during Lent? Well, the point is not to torture. The point is not even some kind of spiritual or physical gymnastics. In other words, the, the, the exercise in itself is not the point. Again, the theme today is psychosomatic, meaning body and soul together, or psycho-spiritual, or psycho-physical, however you want to say it. The point is that it's the integration of body and soul, body, mind, and soul, really, all together. We work at these exercises, disciplines, whether they're spiritual disciplines or physical disciplines, such as fasting, or the disciplines of prayer, along with the physical discipline of prostrations. We do all that so that, and this is the proper mindset, so that we are transformed, we are transfigured. In fact, we heard, as we're celebrating today, St. Gregory Palamas, the great mystical saint of the Byzantine Church in the 14th century. You heard in our, in our reading earlier that he referred to a light of Tabor. You see, the great saints in the Eastern Church did not have, the, especially the mystics, did not have so much the stigmatas like we see in the Western mystics. They had what was called a light, an actual an aura or a light that seemed to come from them. And that light is known in the Eastern Church as the light of Tabor. And the people that had this light, which again is sort of the counterpart of the stigmata in the West, it's a physical manifestation of something spiritual, deeply spiritual. Those that had it did so largely because they fasted a great deal. They practiced deep and rigorous asceticism, not just for the sake of making their, leg, their legs sore, like, like we end up, Katie, <laughs> but for the point of, in a sense, crucifying the tyranny of any bit of their fallen passions so that they would become more and more passionless meaning not that they didn't feel anything, they felt things very deeply. They were very committed. They were very passionate in that sense. But they were passionless, meaning the fallen side of their passions, you know, things like the power of anger or lust or gluttony, you know, avarice, laziness. None of these things had power over them. And they became, in a sense, lighter beings. You know, they were they fasted a lot. They 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 stayed very much in shape because they they lived very rigorous lives. They read the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They could memorize the scriptures. They knew every psalm by memory. We cited constantly. And they did the Jesus prayer continuously, the, one, the prayer that we talked about earlier today in our program, that essential psychosomatic prayer using the name of Jesus, which has power in itself to ward off demons. They would ward off the demons and the temptations of their fallen passions with that prayer. And in so, they would become prayer. Not just pray, they would become prayer. That body and soul unity was so strong in them. And so they would literally radiate a certain light or aura of holiness. But that holiness came by way of these three things 
that we focus on during Lent. Deep prayer, rigorous fasting and asceticism, and those two things ultimately leading to charity. In other words, becoming people of love, radiant, holy, beautiful human Christians. That's what these people were. They were people of great, immense love, immense love of God, immense love of truth, immense love of creation, the human person. And they arrived at that through this rigorism of fasting and prayer, the kind of rigorism that we do during Lent in the Eastern churches. It may sound extreme to us in the Western world, but that goes to show you how far away we have drifted from this integration, from this really deep love of God. You know, when you love somebody, when you really love them, you don't seek to do the minimal, do you, Katie? Like, if you really love somebody or somebody loved you, don't we by nature always think, I mean, we really are love. Say when you really, really feel love, you fall in love, especially when people fall in love, they feel very intensely. But when that happens, we have a sense of wanting to do the most for them, right? We'll sacrifice almost anything for them, won't we? Mm-hmm, absolutely. We, we don't look for the minimum. I think even when you have a crush on somebody, you're always looking to try to impress them. You mm-hmm. know, even when you start to have real feelings for somebody, you go out of your way yes. to do things for them, but you don't even realize that you're doing it. Right, exactly. You you do the most for them. So it's the same thing with these great ascetics. We might look at them or even some of the practices of the Eastern Church of Lent as being kind of extreme or unusual, almost like torturous or something or sadistic. But no, no, no. It's their means of breaking a great tyranny that is within all of us. And that is the tyranny of our fallen passions. Like you were mentioning too, Katie, you had You've given up coffee, right? And you experienced something from that, didn't you? I went to bed. I did. Um, I gave up coffee and then all forms of caffeine. So most pop, and I'm just trying not to drink pop in general because it's not really great for you. But um, I really noticed how addicted I am to caffeine and to (laughs) coffee. And it's not even, I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning when I wake up and maybe like a couple of cans of pop through the day. But it really makes a difference. And on the very first day of Lent, I felt it so much. I had this, <laughs> I had a headache that just felt like my head was in a vice. And wow. because of it, I went to bed at 1030 at night. And mm-hmm. for anybody who knows me, they know that's way, way, way <laughs> too early for me to be going to bed. So, And so th- this, you had this headache because you were giving this coffee up. So it showed, you, you got this sense of that there, there was a sort of almost addictive power. Right, exactly. Substance. So but, it made me think about it even more like, that, you know, it made me realize how addicted I am to coffee and how that's not a good thing. I think if I didn't have a headache, then I would have needed to pick something more difficult to give up yes. in a way. And again, when we do this abstaining from something, whether it's first and foremost from foods, certain foods during Lent, especially the fatty foods or the things that we really enjoy, we do so in a way to, first of all, as you're hearing Katie say, to step back and realize Gee, just how controlled are we by other things, you know, substances, and, and, and are we addicted? Can we live without it? Does it have power over us? Is it a false god? We step back to realize that. We not be, may not be aware of that until we actually step back from it. And then the opposite, again, here's that integration then. It's not just one thing, not either or, but both and. We step back from it so that we can return to that thing if it is a good thing, and there's certain things we may not want to return to, like a lot of people want to give up smoking, for instance, or something like that, or maybe they do have a drinking problem. They want to try to come to grips with that. So that's not so that's something you don't return to, of course. But many things are good that we give up, but and we return to them with a renewed vision of them. And that renewed vision is what we call in our program here the sacramental vision. In other words, we look at those things more in line with God and God's created order. We don't see them just in and of themselves. 
and we return them in a way in which we have power over them. In other words, like for instance, for coffee, after Lent, when Easter comes around after that, Katie, you should be able to return to coffee in such a way where it's like, oh, good, I'm glad. It's not like, well, I'm glad Lent's over. Gosh, I can have my coffee and I go back to how I was and having it, you know, kind of a rule you. Rather, you go back to it like, well, I can choose almost like take or leave it. Not mm-hmm. that I like it any less. You mm-hmm. like it just as much. In fact, you like it even more because you appreciate it even more. But you do so with a, a renewed power over it rather than having power over you. So whenever we enter into these great disciplines, these ascetical disciplines are called, especially of fasting, we do so not just for the, the point itself of giving things up. Again, it's not a it's not like a, a, a gymnastic, you know, spiritually or physically. It's it's actually a way to renew our vision and to free ourselves from any tyranny, anything that has power over us, especially foods, any power except God. He's the only one who can have power over us. This is part of the psychosomatic, the spiritual, physical healing and integration that is so evident in the Eastern churches, especially during this magnificent season of the Great Fast, of the Bright Sadness. As we conclude our program, let's listen once again to the great prayer of St. Andrew of Crete. I'm Father Thomas Loya, here with Katie Goulis on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>